Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hi, right, folks. Welcome back to Life's Mount with Wire Football Podcast mwr.com is our website. If you don't know it, go check it out. We do some fun stuff there, a lot of different things, previewing, recapping, mountainous football, basketball, picks, gambling, whatever we want. Right, Matt? Is that, is that what we do? That is what we do. That's what we know, everybody. Uh, I'm good guys. Matt Kennerly over there. I'm Jeremy here hanging out for a uh, week. Uh, I'll stick with the program, what ESPN CBS says, Matt. Week 10 preview. Week 10 slash week three. Sure. Third game for most people. Week 10 for everybody. There you go. That, that's how you do it. So we got games this weekend, obviously. We got seven games. So we're going to just get off the games, get to them. We have seven games, as I mentioned, two non-conference games. And uh, actually, we're gonna, as I say this, I should add this out. Matt Grex, we're doing two mini shows, two in-between shows. This particular show will be Thursday, Friday games. So if you hear this wanting the Saturday games, go just follow your feed to the next show. That's what we're doing this week to help everybody out. Yeah, and so just to, to clarify that split for people, uh, this one's going to cover <laughs> Utah State at Nevada, border war between Wyoming and Colorado State. Oh, yeah. Uh, a surprising matchup, surprisingly important matchup between San Jose State and San Diego State. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. The, Undefeated San Jose State. That's right. And the uh, first of the two non-conference games this weekend, uh, BYU at Boise State on Friday night. Or there may or may not be fans. TBD on that. We'll see. So let's just get to it. Utah State at Nevada. Um, our where did you put Utah State in a power poll? Because this game is Thursday afternoon. I'll get to it really quick. Five p.m. Mountain Time for local in Reno, Mackey Stadium, FS1. Where did you put the Aggies in your power poll, Matt? You know, admittedly, I don't keep track as as stringently as I probably could. Um, I am pretty sure I put them either last or next to last. Same. So did our buddy Raj and others. I don't know who how everybody voted because I just get the results. A few put them on Twitter. So I think I put them 11 just behind. I put UNLV at the bottom because I think they're that bad. People are like, well, they're playing the best teams in the league. I'm like, yes. And until they show me otherwise, they're not competitive against anybody. And when you're starting quarterback, throws for under 100 yards back-to-back games, there's an issue. And there's a reason, man, I picked them for one victory this year, which might be looking like uh, one too many. Yeah, I mean, you and me both. It's, I mean, it's not like it's, it's not so much that yeah they played some really stiff competition, but it's also that they, you know, other than maybe holding up a little bit in the first half in San Diego State, they looked competitive at all. Yeah, which I think if you were if you were hoping to be optimistic about, about the team this year, that's kind of where you want you, know, you wanted them to to be to look at least a little better, you know, on on defense than they did in the second half of last year and. You know, three halves out of four, maybe at best they haven't, and the offense has looked even worse. And, it, you know, it doesn't get any easier on the road against an undefeated Wolfpack team that has, you know, had some, uh, you know, a little bit of inconsistencies on defense, but the offense has looked very sharp. And so, yeah. What, do you have any positives about Utah State? Because... Like they okay in the last game they didn't have Jalen Warren in a play so that was an issue but wouldn't have made a difference. 
They can't pass the ball. They're running the ball is lucky, not good. Like Devonta Henry Cole in his first game, start or not start, but uh, leading the team in carries where San Diego State didn't do all that much. He was I'm try, sorry, I don't have his numbers here, but he had the uh, loving carries for 27 yards. It's like they have no running identity. Devon Devin Tom, Tompkins is the seems like seemingly the best player. Had the amazing one handed catch in the end zone in the back corner, but defense can't stop anybody. San Diego State, as I talked in the recap. Or 407 yards. It's their second most. I thought it got, I thought it had to go back farther than this, but they had like 500 versus San Jose State in 2017, I want to say, but mm-hmm. 400 rushing yards averaged 7.7 per carry. Like, even if you take away that Jordan Bird 73 yarder, that's still three, what, 340 on 52 mm-hmm. carries. That's still really, really good. Like, I don't see a positive, many positive in this game. Like, what's there to like about the Aggies? Like Gary Anderson, literally, if he wins like two games, I don't care what COVID year and everything, how bad it is. It is a game where a year where he literally could be gone. Okay. So if you're looking for silver linings, ways for them Help to stay out. in this game with the Wolfpack, I can think of one thing. They've been given, given the opportunities they've had in this regard, they've been okay about generating a pass rush. And, you know, on, it, on its face, you know, that's the difference between some of the traditional stats and, and some of the more advanced stats. Because if you look at just in terms of raw sacks, they only have four on the year, which doesn't look great on its face. Nope. But when you convert that into sack rate, so far through two games, and again, small sample caveats apply to, I would say, a lot of the numbers I'm going to throw out in this podcast <laughs> probably. And the next. <laughs> I know. But, their, but their sack rate is pretty reasonable you know it's 7.1 percent overall that's 40th in the country right now and in passing down situations which are you know more obvious passing down situations that improves to nine and a half percent and so i think if you're looking for a way where utah state can stay in this game i think that's kind of where you have to start looking because we know that nevada is going to come out they're not going to be shy about throwing the football um you know, because Carson Strong is off to a very hot start. Romeo Dobbs is one of the, the country's leading receivers already. But you know, if they could get a little more push up front, that might be all they need to supplement. You know what they're getting there because they're getting pretty good production from the linebacker core in that regard. You know they have four sacks as a team. Three and a half of that comes from the linebacking core. You know AJ Vong, Bachan, Cash Gilliam, Elijah Shelton, Kevin Meitenheimer. So, you know, I think the big question is, are they going to get a little hop up front from the guys I think they expected to be more impact type players like Marcus Moore, like Justin Tae, who they've been okay about creating disruption. But I think what it's really going to come down to is how much pressure can they get on Carson Strong? Because if they enabled him to have a quick trigger, they enable him to get the ball to Daubs and Elijah Cooks and everybody else in that receiving core. The game could could go sideways pretty quickly, but if they can force Nevada into the kinds of uh, you know stalls that they had against Wyoming and a little bit against UNLV, then I think they've got a chance to hang around if the offense can put something together. Big if, but that's that's the avenue that I see when I look at any potential upset bid in this game. You think so? Like I, I think so. I think that's where it starts. It starts on defense for them because. You know, Nevada's been a little better at, at running the football too. But, you know, you kind of have to think that Utah State could be a little bit better than they looked against the Aztecs last week when it came to defending run. Like, you know, the, the Wolfpack is not necessarily in the same atmosphere, maybe as of yet, that um, that you might consider the, uh, the Broncos, Boise State, and uh, San Diego State to be. Which they could be, you know. Toa Tawa came back. He had a very strong mm-hmm. effort in his first game of the year. Devontae Lee is still averaging five yards a carry, so it's not like it's going to be an easy task. But again, like that's where that's where I start looking when I think about how Utah State could stay in this game if not steal it. Here's why I don't. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go with that early. I, you're fine with saying that, but here's a couple numbers. To look at like they. It's two things. They're playing very stiff competition. So there is mm-hmm. some of that to consider, but they're average. They scored twenty points in two games. They have uh, just <laughs> outside of Air Force, one hundred two yards passing per game. 
They mm-hmm. have one touchdown. Average yards per throw. Do you want to take a guess what that is? Oh, it's ugly. I know that much. 3.5. Not complete. Not, at least like per completion, per throw. Like they're the worst offense. Like they're average, averaging three, not even three and a half yards per play. Like there's nothing to t- tell me. Like this game, let's say Utah State gets sort of a pass rush. Carson Strong has thrown for almost 800 yards in two games. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Romeo Dobbs, who had over 200 last game. Yeah. Who's very, very good. Carson Strong, 60s, two games. I'm like, he's completing like 78% of his passes. I. There's no reason for me for, like, if Carson Strong were to get 400 yards passing, 300, three TDs in the air, I would not be shocked. Like, I don't see how that, I, I could see that easily happening. There's nothing to say to preclude me from seeing from him, bare minimum, 300 yards, two touchdowns, minimum. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just saying, like, that's where Utah, if you're looking for Utah State to improve anywhere in order to stay in the game, I think that's where it is. And But I think also on the opposite side of the ball, they desperately need to limit possessions. And to do that, they really need to sustain drives, which is not something they've been able to do at all in the early going. You know, just in terms of like net points per drive, they're a hundredth out of 103 teams, according to to Brian Fremo, same guy who does the FBI ratings uh, week in and week out. And it's really problematic, especially when they've been lined up. You know, they're one of the, I think, a handful of teams in the country that, you know, by the measure of, like, long drives, which drives that begin inside the 20-yard line, they haven't turned that into any points through two games. And, you know, even in terms of, like, medium drives, which start between the 20 and the 40, they're averaging less than one point per drive. They have to do better against a Wolfpack defense that, you know, Wyoming and UNLV were able to soften them up a little bit. Yeah. And... And, you know, during, you know, during the first couple of weeks, they've been in the middle of the pack just in terms of like a, you know, per carry allowed basis. But, you know, that I think is where Utah State just, they have to get better. They have to like, you know, eliminate the frills and just run the football. Because I think if they're going to, tr- if they're going to beat Nevada, they're going to have to do it probably between the tackles. Yeah. But I... I mean, the, the ifs stack here. up. I know, here. I know exactly what you're thinking in your with your silence. I just, <laughs> you know, because you know Nevada in terms of like you know line yards per carry, yeah. they're you know through two games, middle of the pack nationally. You know, they've been you know okay as far as you know limiting opportunity rates and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a tall task. I'm not going to say it's impossible. I won't say it's likely. There's a reason Nevada is a 17 point home favorite. They've got to they they have to limit possessions. They have to keep it low scoring. If Nevada gets to 30, this game is over. Third, <laughs> wow. Because like, here's the thing: why I don't think it's gonna happen. Look at what Boise State did in the first half. Mm-hmm. They earned the first quarter. They drive, drive, drive. Touch tw- was it 28 seven halftime? I think it was mm-hmm. something like that. They 21 0 early on. They had two minutes left. Carson's like, oh, call a couple timeouts, get the ball back. They go, eight, I think it was 85 or so yards, touchdown in like 90 seconds. And so mm-hmm. Nevada's, I, I want to say Nevada's offense, as of right now, is at, they're basically even with what Boise State can do, I think, like overall. Like passing, rushing, what they can do. They're both dynamic offense. Like look what Jack, Jack Sears will get to them later, but first play, 75-yard touchdown pass. Like yeah. they, they get explosive plays. And if with Talib back for game two, it's like, I like honestly, I don't really. There's no scenario in my mind where Utah State can win this game. You don't think so? I, I ha, tell me, what's their path to victory? I mean, besides the things I just mentioned, I, I think I, the I other mean, thing is like, that might be yeah, rhetorical, have, but it's tough. I mean, they've got to figure out a way to contain explosive plays because Nevada's played two games and they're already right around the national average as far as 20 yard plays created on offense, which is, a, you know, a level of explosiveness that among, you know, the other conferences that have played that many games, which is, mm-hmm. it's what the mountain West, the big 10 and, you know, maybe like the max started tonight, mm-hmm. but basically among, among the teams that have played like two games or four games or something like that, Nevada's, you know, on a, on a per game basis, they're among the country's best as far as creating plays so far. 
through two games. And so if Utah State's going to survive, you know, again, easier said than done, just because, you know, in terms of what they've done against the pass in two games, I think they're giving up a 67% completion rate. They still don't have an interception. They've given up five touchdowns. But again, I think that just comes down to getting a better performance from their defense overall. I think it starts up front with creating more disruption, you know, forcing Carson Strong into the kind of mistakes that he made sometimes last year and really hasn't made at all this fall so far. True. A, a lot of ifs. I'm, I'm right there with you. And Here's... I don't think it's likely that they win this game, but it's there, there's a path. It's kind of a narrow one. A lot of things have to go right. You never know. <laughs> Here, like, if I'm being serious, like, how they're going to win, they need to run the ball a lot more. They definitely need at least 64% passing, not like 52. Clearly better than three and a half yards per attempt. But mm-hmm. they need, let's just, I don't know what quarterback is going to be like. There's Gary Anderson wasn't saying too much, but Jason Shelley, if they're going to win, he needs to throw for at least like a minimum, two, I think 200 yards. Like, it's not like an amazing, like an outstanding game or a hard goal to reach. It maybe for him, but like if he throw clearly if he throws under 100 yards, they're not winning. If he throws under 150, not winning. He needs to get to at least 200 to give them a chance. Like you're right, like they can't have limit possessions. You can't have three and outs. You can't have Nevada get the ball back and throw a 60 yard bomb to whoever they want to or Tautua break off a big 20 multiple big time runs. It's our Carson Strong's too accurate, but you're right. Controlling the ball, run run more, be more efficient in the passing game. Might give them a chance and knock around strong, but I that's like here's my thing. Utah State can play flawless football on their part up to their peak potential. I still don't think if they played a perfect game, they're still going to win. So, so is, that, is that is that a segue towards making our predictions? Of course, yeah. What do you got? Okay, so uh, so according to Vegas Insider, the the line has dropped. If you can believe that, it opened at twenty seven and a half. Whoa, I did not see that open. Wow. It yeah. has fallen to 16. Um, I kind of feel like the advanced metrics might be underselling Nevada a little bit so far. What do they, what do they say? Um, SP plus from Bill Connolly favors the Wolfpack by 10, uh, which is a 72% win probability. FEI favors them by five. Hmm. Five? That's it. That's your, I think you're correct on underselling big time. Um, I got the Wolfpack in a walk. Are they going to cover that 17, 16? Yes. What would you have done at 27 and a half? I, <laughs> if it were 27 <laughs> and a half, I might have taken Utah State to cover. <laughs> might have. You, I you might hesitated have. I on have a to four touchdown it. favorite. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, Nevada's going to win a cover. Like, the over-under is 59 and a half. Nevada might be able to get that on their own. Or excuse me, 56. Yikes. Like, would you be shocked if this result was like, Okay, maybe not 56. That's stretching a little bit. But would you be surprised if it was like 42 to 10? No. Me neither. So that's where – sorry. I, I think it'll sorry, be pretty Sam. close. I got the Wolfpack winning 38 to 13. You think it'll be that close, 25 points? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I said I would have to, I would have had to think about plus 27 and a half. Um, I seriously think it's going to be like – I don't think it'll get to the over because Utah State can't score enough. But like 40 to 10 is what I'm going to go with. All right. So, all right, next game, also Friday, excuse me, Thursday night, CBS Sports Network, Wyoming at Colorado State, the bronze boots on the line, Rams going for game number two, Wyoming number three. The line in this game, I'm looking at minus three and a half, or I guess plus three and a half favored for Wyoming. That seems criminal, criminally low to me. Did you see what that line opened up? That was a typo. That was an error. The 37 and a half was not accurate. I'm seeing it here on VegasInsider.com that it opened at 42 and a half. I don't. I believe that's a typo. There's no way that's true. It must be. Has to be. If you got that, bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It. Like, let us know where you're betting if you got 42 and a half. <laughs> yeah, we'll revisit that book any day of the week. But like, okay, this game. Did you watch the Rams and Bulldogs game last Thursday? I did not get a chance to. No. Okay, not a problem. Just curious because they are your Bulldogs. We know you're how. No, I'm kidding. Whatever. We'll get to the game. Rams, quarterback situation is where I want to start with there because it was kind of it was fairly surprising. And I think Steve Dazio overthought himself by going with Todd Centio. Was it Centio? Is that how you say his name? I believe it's Centio. Centio. Okay. The BC, or excuse me, not BC. He had a lot of BC guys. The Temple transfer. My thought of why they brought him in because what Siobhan Cordero did, Siobhan Cordero did against Fresno by running like crazy. 
And you could tell early on in that game they were doing a lot of quarterback design runs, whether mm-hmm. it was a play, not play action, but a read option or a, a, a draw play, like a quarterback draw essentially. There's a lot of those that sort of worked, but not really. But they also brought in Patrick O'Brien too. So I think Adagio wanted to get the victory, obviously, first game and everything, but he, I think, I think he's overthinking himself a bit much. Also, we should be reminded they're missing like half the receiving core last week with uh, Dante Wright and others not playing in that game. But what, what I've seen from Wyoming, like when they played Hawaii, it was like a chokehold. They won, I think, was it 31-7? Just a chokehold victory. Could have beaten Nevada, lost in overtime. But that's why I'm thinking like Wyoming is way better than this CSU team. And I don't think it's three points. Like I said, three and a half? No. Not a chance. See, I mean, I think the, the, the quarterback decision in my eyes really comes down to you know, if they're going to try it again, which I, I don't know if they will, but they still have both O'Brien and Satale listed as oars on the depth chart for this and o- game. And O'Brien got some action last week. But I think if you're gonna if you're gonna try and diversify the offense like that, and you're gonna bring Centeno in, and you're gonna give him more than a marginal kind of you know few packages type of role in this offense, then he has to be a bigger threat with his arm. Because going ten of twenty three week in and week out is just not going to cut it. No. And completely, and, and averaging only six yards per pass is not going to cut it. And once Fresno State figured that out, once they were able to really shut that element of his game down, that's where the game really went sideways for them. And then when you compare that to what O'Brien did when he was in the game, he kind of <laughs> looked a lot like you would expect him to. Seven of ten, eighty two yards and a touchdown. So you're telling me like yeah, one that, of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can see where you know the logic behind what Adazio and offensive coordinator Joey Lynch wanted to do. It just maybe didn't work out because Centeno didn't have the best game through the air. He's overthinking himself but, because what he did. But it, it also, I was going to say, either. but it also runs the risk of looking cute or getting yeah. cute. That's why I think he's overthinking when, himself. That's exactly what he did in that game, and it cost him. But it may also be a, it may also have been a consequence of the fact that they didn't have some of their best playmakers. Like they, we already knew they were going to be without Warren Jackson for the entire season, but that Dante Wright news came out about an hour before kickoff. Yes, and, but Patrick O'Brien came in seven of ten, no issues. Yeah. So like, so I'm just I not sure. I don't buy that. I'm not sure much. if it's like a lasting change, or if that was like a, a one-time deal that was meant to try to exploit a defense that was really kind of on its heels, like you mentioned. From a from a similar style of offense the week before, but you know I would say that simplifying, getting back to what you do best, is probably for the best for them, because you know you look at what Wyoming did last week and they looked much improved on defense. You know they held the Hawaii running game in check. They you know were able to get into the backfield. They were able to make plays, and that is kind of where you start, where you think about, you know, if, if Colorado State's going to try and do the same kind of thing on offense, if they're going to prioritize the run, then how well is that going to work against the defense that, at least for one week, looked like it had its bearings way more than it did in the opener uh, against Nevada. You know, they held Hawaii to mm-hmm. just under four yards of carry. Um, they've looked generally strong just when it comes to defending the run. And so if that means they're going to put the game in O'Brien's hands and, you know, let him throw to right and Nate Craig Myers and Trey McBride and everybody else in that passing game, you know, is, are they going to be able to force the issue in the way that Nevada was a couple of weeks ago, or is Wyoming going to be able to hold up in the way that they were against a, what I would say is a fairly a similarly potent passing attack uh, in Hawaii. Hmm. You think they have a, wait, you think, wait, you're telling me they could throw just like Hawaii? I guess, I guess what I'm saying is the big question about this game is, you know, which Wyoming performance is closer to their true ceiling? Is it, you know, how they looked shaky against Nevada or is it how they looked much improved against Hawaii? Because, you know, one of the things that they still have going for them up front is they've still been very disruptive. Like through two games, they have 15 tackles for loss. They're getting, you know, a lot of contributions from, you know, new contributors, you know, Charles Hicks has two sacks, mm-hmm. you know, freshman Jordan Bertignol Bird, uh, has two and a half sacks. We weren't talking about either of those guys in June and July, True. Um, but they have, four, but they have four and a half sacks between them now. Like is, is Colorado State going to be able to stop those guys? Uh, or, you know, if, 
like you said, if Colorado State continues to try to be cute with Centeno under center, are they just going to swallow that element of the game up and put Colorado State in a lot of, you know, second and long, third and long situations, force them to play in a way that they don't necessarily want to on offense? I think they can dictate the terms of the game in a way that they want to if they simplify. Like, but, you know, but, Wyoming, but like I said, Wyoming's not just going to roll over. You know, they still, it's it's possibly like a strength-on-strength strength kind of matchup. I could see that. But, like, look, when you look at the difference you mentioned versus the Wyoming's first two games, I think we also mm-hmm. should probably give a little more credit to Nevada's defense a bit. Because yeah. Hawaii, like, they didn't play as well as they could have. Or they were up against a better team. Oh, I can't say a better team, but a um, different team, I guess. But I think Nevada's defense is a bit better than we're thinking, giving them credit for. And while we just kind of slowly burned, but remember, Xavier Valde had like 30-something carries that game and caught a handful of passes. Yeah. So looking at like what you mentioned, what the, what the Rams possibly, possibly could do and all those type of things, like uh, like De- Dequan Jackson, all that type of stuff, what he can do back there. But I the Rams, like if we're going back to like how it could really happen, Rams, you're right. Like because Adazi's already said, well, I'm not, be, I'm not saying what quarterback situation is. Like – I don't get why it's not just Patrick O'Brien because he clearly came in and outperformed Todd Santeo. He has to run the run, run, run ability is a bit mix it up. You're right. If it's too cute doing this, why well, defense is good enough? We can mention all the new players. Like it's, we just figured it'd be a new guy. We wouldn't know the name. It's like we, right now, week two or week three. And mm-hmm. when you watch what CSU can do with O'Brien, he we saw, look, look what he did last year. Like he came in and just tore up the conference. Like mm-hmm. he is, when you look at pure passes who can throw, it's like Hank Bachmeyer, um, Carson Strong, in my opinion, Patrick O'Brien's right there. Nick Starkle now as well at San Jose State. But, like, he is – you want to put your best athletes on the field. Like, if you want to bring Centeno in occasionally here or there, I guess, if you want to do a change of pace, which is still risky a bit. But at least it's more structured than let him go out there than, oh, let's just go back to O'Brien. Let him play your change your own game plan. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we're looking at how CSU can win, they need – I feel O'Brien should start and be the guy. Because he clearly is the best quarterback out there, but the Rams' mm-hmm. defense has to stop like Xavier Unvalade, which is very difficult. He had a huge week one to week two, and I'd argue the Rams' defense is nowhere near is closer to Hawaii than it is Nevada, and so there's that factor. He'll get twenty plus carries like he always does. So I don't know if the Rams have enough to win in this game. It, their, their best chance clearly having Dante right back in the lineup and having Patrick O'Brien start and be the main quarterback. But again, you got to go against this Wyoming defense that's shutting teams down, like seven points versus Hawaii, who they put up a ton the week before and had lots of yards. So that's why I don't know. I don't know if Rams have enough firepower on offense to. No, I don't want to say keep pace because I think we're kind of discrediting a little bit the Wyoming offense. It, besides Valade, Levi Williams is still really good. Like he runs I mean, the ball well enough. Another thing, another thing they're going to have to improve upon if they want to be able to keep the Cowboys at arm's length is their performance on third downs, especially. Because that is, at least through the early going, is something that both of these teams have in common. Neither of them have necessarily shined on third downs. Last week against Fresno State, the Rams were only 4 of 15. And through two games, the Cowboys themselves are only 11 of 31. So that's that's 26% and 35% respectively. The difference is, again, you know, which Wyoming is closer to the truth because they were really abysmal on third downs against Nevada a couple weeks ago. They were three of 16, but they, they were over 50% in their big win against Hawaii. And so I think, you know, being able to contain the Cowboys on defense is something they're going to have to improve upon because they struggled on that side of the ball too. They allowed Fresno state to convert 10 of 18 third downs that's not sustainable. Let's let's just put it that way. Um, But, you know, if they can, if they can hold Wyoming to, I don't know, 40% on third downs, I think they can give themselves an opportunity to win the game just by virtue of having more chances with football, more chances to drives. And I think with O'Brien understanding, speaking to your point, that gives them the best chance to do that. This really does, yeah. That's what I'm good leaning for. Like CSU, like well, I mean, pass the ball or pass them just enough, run the ball with Valade, which we know is going to happen. The key thing we look at everything overall the game, like what's the big difference maker either way. We know what Williams can do; he throws reasonably well. Valade passes or runs a ton. 
Rams. Um, <laughs> the point being, the one the difference is Patrick O'Brien or Tonson Teo. Go mm-hmm. with Patrick O'Brien. If it's not him, they're not going to win. If it's O'Brien, he gives them a chance. But even then, I don't think it's enough. But he'd at least be able to keep it in there because Wyoming can score points. Like the 31 last week, they're 30 plus in two games for a team that years before they'd be they'd want 10 points to get they'd hold a team 10 points for victory. You know what I mean? Like they would need to score two touchdowns and they would just suffocate you defensively. This yeah. team can actually score points. And my 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 pick's the same. It's Wyoming to win and cover regardless. But Patrick O'Brien, if you're to start and play the whole game, I would give them a decent chance to pull off the upset, but I wouldn't uh, call it, though. But I could see it happening. So, like we mentioned before, Wyoming is a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Um, they are also favored by SP+. Uh, slight favorite, though. It's 4.9 in favor of the Cowboys, 61% win probability. Um, they're also favored by FEI. Uh, by 6.8. So I think a lot, you know, the advanced numbers are kind of expecting a pretty tightly contested battle. So what, what do you got? I'm going to take the Cowboys. I'm I'm wondering if I maybe undersold them a little bit. Yeah, and, and even if Colorado State is back to full strength, like even if they have Dante Wright um, and a full game from a healthy Patrick O'Brien you know, they had those same components in last year's game and still couldn't solve Craig Bull's defense and running game. So I would kind of expect it to be another close one in the border war, but I do think that the Pokes will ultimately end up with the bronze boot. I'm going to say 21 to 17. One quick note, Dante Wright and Ty McCulloch, who we didn't mention either, was out also for receiving group. So yeah. the both back will help. But I think it'll be, I think like 28-13 for Wyoming. All right, before we move to the Friday games, we're talking about betting lines. We're talking about that type of stuff. We can hook you up over Mike Bookie. We have college football clearly, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. We have the NFL at the moment. Probably some UFC thing, which I don't pay attention to, but if you're a UFC guy or golf guy, that's out there for you. Um, Champions League soccer, all those random things out there. No shortage of games to watch. 10,000 lines, tens of thousands of lines available. So, uh, Matt, you didn't do quite well over the weekend, so should they pick the opposite picks you do this week maybe in some some scenarios? It, it could not hurt to hedge, no. Well, it's okay. You can bet the underdogs, go for the favorites, um, parlay as well, which, again, Matt, you were unsuccessful. i, I got to bring up one more time. This close. I was that close. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, you can't see. I'm, I'm holding my, <laughs> my index finger and my thumb very close together. Yeah, all right, yeah, so don't, yeah, so parlays, hey, you can earn a bunch of extra money if if it goes your way. You got the underdogs, obviously a ton of value, depending. Like, we have big lines in these Mountain West games, and so those are kind of uh, – sometimes you want to go with the underdog if it's like those 15. Like, imagine, Matt, that 27-point line. Whew, that could have been an underdog's dream. Or if you found that random 45-point line, it's like, yes, let's get it. But, yeah, game spreads, championship futures, like the Mountain West title game, player prop debt batch, which is pretty cool. So if you want to say, uh, like, Dante Wright gets uh, over under 78 receiving yards, that's probably an option in there. So take a look at that. But the best thing about my bookie, when you sign up, use our promo code Overtime to get a deposit to double your money, dollar for dollar, up to one thousand bucks. So, Matt, if you if you'd done it last week, you would be okay losing a little bit because you had some money, some cushion, right? Yes. Yes, as he says, hesitantly and angrily. So, <laughs> bonus designed to give you a little help. As we said, head start again. Promo code Overtime to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On to the Friday games. Again, chronological order, so that other game, that's big coming up. San Jose State at San Diego State. Undefeated Spartans versus undefeated Aztecs. I can see here on ESPN they put SDCCU Stadium. Not correct. They are playing in Carson. Is that the right city? <laughs> I forget. Dignity Health Sports Park. 110 miles away from San Diego. Spartans are an underdog. Not surprisingly, nine points. A little shocking, but dude, Spartans 2-0. There's still plenty of room on the bandwagon. You called her. This is your team, I think, that we should all have discussed earlier to take. Perhaps so. 
So the past couple of years, the past two years, when the Spartans were trying to climb that ladder to get better, two years ago, not as great. Last year, competitive. They have been really good against San Diego State. They've been really close the past couple of years and almost pulling up the upset for this team. This is clearly, mm-hmm. I don't want to say clearly, but well, well, Josh Lover's Nick Starkle, probably leaning Josh Lover, right, since we've seen more. Because Starkle's just had the one game of 400-plus yards. Well, I mean, I think you might be underselling what Starkle was able to do against Air Force. Maybe he didn't necessarily you know, light everything up, but he's looked pretty good through two games for a team that really hasn't stopped throwing the football, you know, first, second, and third. True. You know, just in terms of, like, passer rating, which isn't always the most accurate metric, you know, he's number two in the conference right now behind uh, Carson Strong. You know, he only has one interception on 76 pass attempts. He's averaging over nine yards per attempt, and he's completing 73% of his passes. I think if you're a Spartans fan, if you're offensive coordinator Kevin McGiven, you can't really complain about his performance so far. No, definitely not. Um, So with them having a quarterback who's obviously really good, with their rush defense actually improving the past couple years, and they have Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker, like this this is going to be a competitive game. The one thing I want to see from them is that can they stop this San Diego State rushing offense, which seems to be reverting back to when they're awesome. And oh, run, yeah. Running the ball, like we mentioned earlier, over four, uh, excuse me, over 400 yards in that last game. I don't know if they'll, who knows if they'll get it again because they played Utah State, but Spartans are going to have to make a stop and not allow for like that 78 yard run that was a touchdown by Jordan Bird. The averaging seven mm-hmm. to 10 yards per carry by all these multiple running backs. That's the key area because I think, here's my point Starkle is better than Carson Strong, or excuse me, Carson Baker. With some guy on Twitter, well, if Carson, like if they had Jack Sears, they'd be awesome. Like, well, Hold your horses. First of all, they wouldn't run the offensive pass. But like Carson Strong is doing just okay, not turning over, barely above 50%. If I'm looking for the advantage. It's Nick Starkle over the other quarterback position, clearly. But then I don't know if that's a big enough, bigger advantage over San Diego State rushing offense versus that Spartan rushing defense. And that's where I think this game is going to be won because if the Spartans can force San Diego State to throw a bit more, that's what they really want to do. Because San Jose State's middle of the pack there – Actually, only like three three point nine yards per carry given up, which is pretty good. Middle of the league, the whole league is doing reasonably well. But like, if that can be done, like if they get if they get all standing a state to just like four point five, I think they might be able to pull off the upset. And when I was digging through the numbers, writing the preview for San Jose State, that was kind of that was one of the big things I came across. And in particular, first downs in this game, I think, are going to be really huge for both sides. You know, especially when the Aztecs have the ball because. You know, part, you know, I think a big narrative through their first two games is the fact that they've really been able to set the tone. And for a team that likes to run the ball, they like to move the chains, they like to pound their opponent up front, it, it's worth noting that, you know, they've run the ball 49 times on first down. They're averaging 7.78 yards per carry. And so when you're basically setting yourself up with second and two on average every single time, you're in pretty good shape. And, you know, like you mentioned a minute ago, San Jose State in the past has been kind of an Achilles heels of theirs is, is stopping the run. But they held Air Force in check a couple weeks ago. They're roughly middle of the pack just in, in general terms. I think they're allowing about 4.2 yards per carry right now. And so it's a matter of how much they're going to be able to limit the damage on first downs. Because one of the things that I think we still don't know about the Aztec offense is how they're going to respond when they're put into second and long or third and long more consistently. Exactly, the passing what we, game. What, and what we do know is that Carson Baker's got 10 pass attempts on third down so far with four more yards to go. So that's basically third mid to third and long. Two first downs. That's not good, I believe. And, and to me, that's where you start looking at, at this game is if those guys on the San Jose State defensive line, you know, Junior Pahoko, Jake Akiva, Kate Hall, they've been strong through two weeks, but they're going to have to bring their A game to go up against an offensive line that, for all intents and purposes, has played like one of the best offensive lines in the country, both in terms of pass protection and run blocking. You know, the, the Aztecs are third nationally through two games in line yards per carry. They're in the top 20 by opportunity rate. 
They're second with just a 9.3% stop rate allowed, so they, they aren't letting opponents get into the backfield. So, you know, on paper, you might say that the Spartans might have a talent advantage over what UNLV and Utah State were able to throw at them. But that, to me, is kind of the X factor in this game, is even if it's not necessarily about disruption, even if the Spartans can't, you know, bump up that, that stuff rate for the Aztecs a little bit, you know, it's about, you know, the difference between three yards of carry, four yards of carry versus, like, six yards of carry. That is a, it's a big deal. Can't, here's the thing. Could, what it, um, could this be a game where it's a shootout with the Aztecs running and Spartans throwing? Did That's you... kind of what it was last year. I mean, I could definitely say the same. I could see the same situation playing out because, you know, that's still something that the Spartans uh, on offense or, or I guess you could say they're still a work in progress. Um, they didn't really do all that well against the against the Aztecs last year running the football. Kyrie Robinson had 14 carries in 59 yards, which is okay. But I think if they want to, you know, just take control in this game, and especially if they get a lead and they need to burn clock, mm. they're going to have to run the ball at least a little bit because one of the advantages I think they have in this game is that they've shown that they can put Starkle in a position to succeed when it comes to, you know, throwing the football. Like they've been okay when it comes to, you know, run blocking, but they've been one of the best teams in the country in the early going as far as, you know, being able to keep the quarterback upright. And they have a sack rate allowed of only 1.3%. That is something that's been the Aztecs' wheelhouse, you know, especially guys like Keaton McDonald and the rest of that linebacking unit. You know, they don't really seem to miss Kaiva Tizino that much in the early going. But, you know, they've shown that, you know, they can find ways to get the ball out of Starkle's hands early. And so, to me, it's a definite strength on strength because we know that the Spartans are going to pass more often than they run. Um, we also know that the Aztecs are going to do a pretty good job of containing them. You know, it's, you know they probably aren't going to create explosive plays in this at the same rate that they did against air force and uh against new mexico and so you know how they make up for it is going to go a long way determining towards how this game unfolds like if they've got a seven point lead midway through the third quarter and it's like third and three what are they going to do in that situation are they going to be able to run the football to keep clock moving or are they going to continue leaning on starkle to continue making those plays because you know, he's been money on third downs. You know, I mentioned a lot of the traditional metrics before, but, you know, I, you, it's still a little bit dicey when you get into those situations more often than not. You know, in, on his own third downs, I mentioned it with Baker a minute ago. Starkle, so far, he's fifth nationally with a 193.79 passer rating. He has 10 conversions on 21 third down attempts, and that's exactly i think what you want if you're the spartans coaching staff but against a defense like this there's the capacity for living dangerously and so you want to see a little more from the ground game so that you're not necessarily putting all of the eggs in one basket because that was one of the reasons why the game sort of got away from them late last year is they weren't able to you know generate they weren't able to keep the chains moving as consistently, you know, you look back and Josh Love was only 19 of 36 in that game. If they get that kind of performance again, you know, they might be able to stay in the game, but it might be really frustrating for long stretches. True. Here's one point I'll bring up for San, San Jose State's chances. Utah or San Diego State has played UNLV and Utah State. Yeah. The, they are a lot. They have not a lot of touchdown. San Diego State's past defense. That oh, is sorry. true. Hold on, I'm looking at rush defense. This makes my thing. Hold on. I may have made a, quite a large error here. Hold on a moment. <laughs> I was going to make a point here. Let's see if my point still stands for total. Let's see. Rush passing defense, not rushing defense. So um, I was not correct. They have a lot of two touchdown, two touchdown passes. I apologize. But my point still sort of stands by the teams they've played. Oh, good. It's basically the same number as I thought at. Two, two touchdowns. They had two picks. Um, okay. They're allowing... 3.6 yards per pass attempt mm-hmm. in two games. And it's not like their opponents aren't trying. They're, they're, 60 you know, they're passes. 30 pass attempts per game, which is roughly middle of the pack, I think. Yeah. And so a couple of things we can take away and not take away. One thing we take away, 
Essex defense are shutting down a bad passing offense. Because Utah State's not throwing well, neither is whoever UNLV in that first game. They threw out three guys, Max Gilliam and Justin Rogers and some other guy. What is it, Kevin Oldblad, I believe, right? Kenyon Oldblad, yeah. Close enough. Whatever. It's a no-name guy I don't care about. That's my point. (laughs) They are shutting them down. This will actually test the Spartans' pass defense. Or excuse mm-hmm. me, the Asics pass defense, Spartans pass offense will also be tested as well against the defense. And we know it's good. Those numbers, they're low because Aztecs are good. They're low also because the opponents are garbage. They're passing opponents. So I'm going to put good faith in that Nick Sarkle will throw for at least like 63%. That'll be lower than his average. Pretty sure he'll get more than 3.6 yards per attempt. I'm betting he'll still throw for at least 275 in this game. Possessions will be limited in this matchup because Essex will run the ball, want to take the clock down a bit. They're not going to pass a ton. But I'm just looking at that like this is also a big deal for the Aztecs because they haven't seen a pass offense like this. The two receivers are by far the best two they've seen all year, Trey and mm-hmm. um, Walker and Bailey Gaither, Bailey Gaither there. Like the Spartans are going to have to throw to win. They're going to have to throw a lot to win. And it might be enough, but I don't think it'll be enough. I mean, honestly, I think it could be the secondary weapons that make the difference in this game. It's it's maybe not so much about the Gaithers and the Walkers as much as like a guy like you know, Isaiah Hamilton. True. Who, you know, I, th- I think we all expected him to be, you know, the, the second or third guy in the offense. But through two games, he only has three catches. And granted, he's, he's averaging 18 yards per catch. But they haven't, you know, he hasn't seen quite as many opportunities as I think I would have expected to see in this offense. So, I mean, I think it's guys like him. I think it's guys like Derek Deese, who scored, you know, twice against Air Force uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, considering we know, you know, even despite the opposition that the Aztecs have a lot of talent in their own secondary, you know, you know Walker and Gaither are going to be tangled up with Darren Hall and Taylor Hawkins. That's my, that might be the best quarterback duo in the conference. You know, it's those other guys and how well they do, how well they perform in their roles that could ultimately make the difference in this game. Because if they can step up and take some of the pressure off of those guys who are going to get a lot more focus, you know, I think if, if I'm a San Jose State fan, I want to see them take a lead early and really put San Diego State behind the eight ball. If they can't do that, the longer it's a close game, the longer they have to rally mm-hmm. to stay in this game, I think the harder it's going to be for them to ultimately pull it off. All right, so what do the advanced numbers say? All right, so SP Plus favors the Aztecs. Um, they have it uh, by 0.7, which is 69% win probability. FEI also favors the Aztecs by a little more, 13.7. So what's your prediction then? I think it's going to be pretty close, same as it has been the last couple of years. But, I mean, if it came down to trusting one thing, I think I would trust the Aztecs' defense to be able to hold the line. It's going to be close. I would take San Jose State to cover nine or nine and a half, but I would take the Aztecs to win. Or excuse me, I take the Spartans to cover. I take the Aztecs to win twenty-eight to twenty. That would be the under because it's forty-seven. No, that'd be the over forty-seven and a half. Not many points. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it'll be close, like it has been. Spartans will break through for a couple plays here or there, but I don't think Aztecs getting. They have been putting up points as well, so they put up above thirty plus. I don't. I just don't think it'll be that many. Just um, Spartans defense is probably better than UNLV and Utah State. I'm going to go like 28-20 for San Diego State. So they cover, but very close. Great minds think alike. Exactly. There we go. All right, final game of the day, Friday, 7:45 Mountain Time, local time. There, Albert Albertson Stadium hosting number nine BYU. Boise State opened as a quick two point favor, but quickly shift to a field goal favorite for BYU. Over under a nice 61 points there. So on FS1, this is the game. If Boise State's going to win, they'll probably shoot them to the top 15, I think, and be ready to pass Cincinnati if or when they lose. So are you are you a believer in BYU yet? Because we haven't talked about them in a few weeks. <laughs> just a few weeks. Um, how would you um, just? What do you mean by believer? Like in what aspect are they top 10 team? Are they, do they have a yeah, Heisman five candidate? Let's start there. Do you think that BYU? BYU is a legitimate top 10 team? Or do you think it's a consequence of this weird situation that we that the landscape has put us in? It's the same reason Coastal Carolina is ranked as where they're at, or Louisiana is ranked where they're at. Is mm-hmm. Louisiana still ranked? I think so. Marshall I don't have is ranked. In front of me. 
I it's more okay. It it can be both. Well, I can't say it can be both because you can't say the top ten and the circumstance. It is clearly due to their circumstance. However, this from what I've seen because I've what I do work, follow them, watch them, talk to the coaches and players and stuff. They're a good team. They're not a top ten team. If you're telling me right now, if you to put them on the field and playing Oregon, no way. Playing Ohio State, not a chance. Wisconsin, no. Indiana's ranked too high. BYU would beat Indiana. Indiana moved up because of a not a fluky win, but a they'd beat Penn State in the overtime with that amazing play if we saw it. Mm-hmm. To me, there's a reason this game if here's the thing. When's the last time you've seen a team in the top ten play a team late bottom in the rankings? be more like only a touch a field goal favorite. I mean, I was about to ask, have they beaten a team with a winning record right now? And then I realized that Louisiana tech is four and three, um, but they also have a minus 14 scoring margin. Here's who they so, play. If you're uh, not sure, take the take, make of that what you will. Like what they're doing, they're beating teams. They should be beating. This is, it's something that cannot be said because the past couple of years they lose to, I don't want to say Toledo because they had Kareem Hunt a couple years ago. So it's like they lose to South Florida, Tulsa. They they lose to Northern Illinois 7-6. to six, But then they somehow beat Wisconsin or they beat Arizona when they were pretty good a couple years ago in the last moment field goal. They've only been, they've been challenged twice. Houston versus the first half. And Houston's um, solid, not great. They're okay. They have a – they're 2-2. Two and two. With the other also team, minus six scoring margin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> say, and then they um, – Texas State, I think that one of the Texas schools is like they played University of Te- Texas State or Texas San Antonio, like whispering the second half. And it's not their fault they're playing those teams either. They've done an admirable job of getting teams back. It was actually UTSA 27 to 20 where they struggled. Like they're good, but they're like to go back to the original question, it's more circumstance how good they are. Like, I honestly think, here's the thing, I, I can't wait for the playoff committee pull, polls to come out for not just if BYU wins and they move up, because, like, if they move up, like, this week, let's just say they win. Like, and we know polls are dumb. Like, if you win, you move up, you lose, you move down. It's like, that's garbage. Like, if they mm-hmm. were to win, Florida-Georgia play, one's dropping. Um, Clemson-Notre Dame, they're probably passing Notre Dame if that happens. Like, they could be, like, a number seven team in the country. Like, looking who's in the top 25, like, I think they're better than Miami. They're also overrated. Like, they're not better than Oregon. Um, like Coastal Carolina's 15. Are you kidding me? Like, no disrespect to the shots out there, but come on. Like, mm-hmm. Oklahoma probably would beat be, be BYU. I don't know if Texas would, but they'd be, they're probably about eight, five to eight spots too high. Like, Liberty's so ranked. You, Give me a break. Liberty? Come on. These polls are garbage. So, if you're Kalani Sataki, what is your game plan for attacking Boise State on both sides of the ball? Well, here's the thing. They have um, a guy named Kyrie Stonga, who's pretty good, defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. He'll get to QB. Here's what needs, like, if you're him, you don't know who the quarterback is. So it's like, okay, what do we know about Hank Bachmar? They didn't play him last year, remember, because Bachmar was injured. Mm-hmm. So he didn't he get to play. And B- and also, remember, BYU played backups as well. So yeah. also noted, BYU is never on the blue turf, just saying. But if you're going to attack them <sighs> – the deep pat, the big passing plays is what Boise's done this year, right? Like, look how many long passing plays to like Khalil Shakir or other guys on the field. Like, they pass the ball well. Like, Boise's played. I don't know how you attack them because their offense is so explosive and balanced this year, which is like any other normal year. I guess the main thing get to the quarterback because that's kind of what's been able to be done against Boise State. Whether offensive line play now they have a, possibly a Jet Jackson's backup QB, but he looked really good in the first game. You would attack the quarterback because the line is better, but that's kind of their one area of weakness. When we look at defense, like here's the thing too, Boise's down. Uh, shoot, I had his up here, but they're down a couple defenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Demetri Washington is out for the year. Yeah, that's a big deal. The, I believe it was a leg injury. But I guess but, you to... know, Boise is one of those teams where you know they always have you know the next man up, and it's not like even without Washington, that line is still pretty loaded. Like Shane Irwin has looked pretty mm-hmm. sharp. You know, Sam Whitney's looked pretty sharp in the early going. So, yeah, losing one cog hurts, but I don't know if it's necessarily like a death blow or anything like that. Here's the thing. I don't know. When teams have done – like, here's the thing. No team has done really good against BYU. Like, so I don't know. Is that their – like, just stick with defense. Is their defense that good to shut these teams down? Yes, but I don't know. It's a a two-sided question. Like, yes, they're doing well. Like, when they played UTSA, they were down 3-0, 14-3, like – 
The quarterback, like, had no picks, so there's that. They threw the ball pretty well. They also played two quarterbacks, UTSA. Zach Wilson held had under 300, under 300 yards, which is pretty good to hold him to that. But he still completed, like, 22 of 30 passes. BYU mm-hmm. has multiple running backs, like Tyler Ajir is the main guy, but they also have guys like Lapina Coteau who are pretty good. So they go multiple guys at running back. The receiving group, if Gunnar Romney's healthy, that's a big deal because they have him and Dax Milne, Milne. But, like, I don't know. Like, back to defense, their defense is holding teams down, but these teams aren't scoring points either, regardless if they're playing BYU or not. Mm-hmm. Like, versus a bad UCF defense, Houston only scored 21 points. Yeah. Like, UTSA, yeah, they scored 51 against Texas State, but no one scored 24 against Stephen Faustin. They put up only 13 versus UAB. Only 16, like, they're not scoring many points. Only three versus FAU. So mm-hmm. it's it's still to be determined. Like, I know is a good team. I've seen them play, and they play well. But it's also like thinking of the old days when it was Utah to Mountain West or TCU or even BYU back in the day or Boise State in the old whack. How good are they despite them winning 41-10 beating San Jose State, Nevada, Verizon State, and Hawaii? That's mm-hmm. where I feel with this team. Like, we know they can play well and play good, but – I don't know when they play somebody who's as good as them, which that Houston game's probably the best example where it was 20 to 14 at the half they're losing, but then BYU came out strong in the fourth quarter and just crushed Houston and actually scored the final 28 points. So hmm. when they get hit in the mouth, they played well. I'm just wondering how it'll be from the get go. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm looking through just like SP plus because that's what I use to kind of think about these kinds of things. How do they have the third best it- resume? What is Bill C doing there? I don't get that. I think a lot of that is built on the strength of their probably their offense, like how they're playing. Not, because you know, in terms of, when you when you look at the split between offense and defense, BYU is ninth in offensive SP, SP plus and twenty seventh on defense. But when you compare that to the opponents that they have played so far, you know, just in doing a cursory look of of week by week opponents, you could say that they played maybe maybe one decent defense all year long, and that was Troy. Mm-hmm. You know, Louisiana Tech is 87th. You know, most of the other opponents were in the hundreds. You know, Texas State was 118th. UTSA is 101st. So, again, not a murderer's row. And when you compare that to what Boise State, you know, there's still some projection in their ranking. But there's no doubt that the defense has looked extremely sharp in the early going. And they have a projection or a ranking right now of 29th nationally. So, in a very real sense, they haven't faced a defense like this all year long. And, you know, I think, you know, if it's going to start anywhere, they're going to have to start by frustrating Zach Wilson through the air because he's averaging 11.2 yards per pass so mm-hmm. far. I don't think he's going to do that in this game. No. no he's not going to come close to doing that because Boise State's got too much talent on the back end. Yeah. Guys like Avery Williams and other people <laughs> who can guard those guys. Yeah, and so, you know, I think that's where I start thinking about this game is like, you know, they've been able to create a lot of explosive plays. I just don't see how they're going to be able to do that against this kind of defense. And I think, you know, what it's going to come down more uh, to is whether or not Boise State can sustain drives in the same way that they showed in the early going on offense. You know, because it, it didn't look like the quarterback change really hurt them last week. And so you kind of have to hope that that's going to be the same kind of deal for them for in this game because we don't know because yeah because boys BYU's got a lot of talent on defense they've looked pretty good on that side of the ball but again I'm almost pretty sure you could say without doing a cursory look of all the offensive SP pluses that they faced an offense like this either so you know even you know if George Halani's availability is up in the air you know even if Bachmeyer's ability is up in the air. You know, they've got enough talent on offense to be able to move the ball against this defense, which is something that teams haven't really been able to do. Even if they're pinned back, I think Boise State's got the talent to be able to sustain drives, to put up the kind of, I don't know, nine-play, 85-yard touchdown drive that pretty much every other team on BYU's schedule, I would not have pegged them to do that often. I think the biggest piece for Boise State is George Shalani playing or not? Mm-hmm. I don't trust Andrew Van Buren to have another big game like he did. He rushed seven times and only had 21 yards versus Utah State. You would think, not just that game, but like looking career-wise, him being a junior, being around, 
that he might have more production. Like if you go back to uh, 2019, he had two games with double-digit carries against two not great teams, Utah State early, New Mexico. He was getting fewer and fewer carries as the season went along, like topped out about five. So mm-hmm. I think that's – the defense line I think will step up and be fine. Passing game seems to be fine because if you're a new quarterback, cap, Jack Sears has only completed 20 – through 28 passes before this game at USC. Like he had one game, that's it. He came in and – yeah, Air Force defense isn't great. So, but he still came in and looked really good. Like he was competent, looked like he knew the offense. And remember, he came in late in the year, and there's been no training essentially, not much work, spring, nothing, or not him, but like no fall camp, really very different, mm-hmm. limited acclimation to the offense. He looked really good. So that's a very good positive. 17 of 20. That's like 80%, I believe, if I'm correct. So it's pretty high. Yeah, up there. and I mean, so, I mean, regardless of whoever's under center, or even if they split time, you know, the way to beat BYU, I think, is by doing it through the air because that's where the teams that have had the closest mm-hmm. calls, and I'm looking particularly at UTSA and Houston. Yeah. You know, UTSA is not what you would call an explosive offense, but they threw for almost 300 yards. They completed 72% of their passes, and they they completed nearly nine yards per attempt. So did Houston. You know, Houston was at 9.4. And so I think Boise State's got more talent in their own passing game than either of those teams. And that should enable them to challenge the Cougars in a way that pretty much everybody else on their schedule hasn't been able to. It could be a big game for Khalil Shakir. And it seems like we've said that pretty much every week so far. But, you know, it could also be a big game for the guys around him, guys like Octavius Evans and C.T. Thomas, who they've looked pretty good in their own rights in the early going as well. Like it, It's not necessarily that BYU is going to be able to focus on shutting down one guy if Boise State comes out firing on all cylinders, they may not need a running game. Tight end, man. Bates, come on. I understand. Look what he did versus Utah State. Here's the thing. You're right. Like, multiple targets. They can't – like, when they're playing, like, watching them play as other teams, like, they – like, they have a guy like – what's his name? Um, Troy Warner, really good. Fred Warner's brother of the Niners. Amazing mm-hmm. player. Might be their best defensive player. Him and Kyrie Stonka. They have guys back there that can play, but it's not like they've had to um, do – any special, specific, unique coverage on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they can basically play their base defense for 90%, and they're not going to rush eight. They're not going to stack the box unless it's like a fourth and short. They're not going to play unique zone-type coverage because Utah, not Utah State, but Boise State has three legitimate passing threats where there's a tight end underneath. You have to have linebacker drop and shadow somebody. They're, they've not had to do that. And sorry to Houston, but I don't think Houston's a great team either. They're okay. But I don't think that great a team. Like, I was going to pick BYU. A couple reasons where I work at, main job. Like, it'd be great if BYU keeps winning. It'd be awesome if they're in like New Year's Six playoff Heisman contention. All that stuff would be great for work. But I, I'm not gonna. I'm not confident picking either team. I. What do you make picks here? So what? Did, tell me what the um, advanced metrics say, Matt, before I make my pick. Okay, so Vegas Insider, like you mentioned, uh, BYU is minus three. Uh, SP Plus also favors the Cougars 3.7. It's a 58% win probability. FEI, however, uh, actually it's right in the same neighborhood. They also favor BYU by 3.7. So, again, great minds think alike. So is your um, do you think there'll be a lot of points in this game? Probably. Like maybe first to 40? It could be close to that, yeah. The over-under, oh, should I went back too far. The over-under on this matchup is sitting at 61. I'm con- I think I'll be above it, but I was really I, honest. I was really leaning BYU, thinking what they're doing. But after thinking about it, listening to you reading stuff, I don't think it matters who is quarterback. I just think like it's one of those games where the matchup they've never faced a team like this. Like I'm not saying Boise State's some juggernaut by any stretch. Like we know they're good, but like relatively speaking, who they played, yeah, they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's not going to be a game where oh they can come back as Houston folds over for whatever reason because it was like their second game of the year. I'm going to take Boise State to win. I don't think it'll be four, first to forty. I could see it, but I think it'll be like thirty-five to thirty for B, for Boise State, like a five, slightly cover. Or not it doesn't matter they win a cover thirty-five thirty, but I think it'll be like a one position game back and forth. Basically, it'll come down to like who gets stopped for a field goal or something. You know what I mean? It'll be one of those type of games. Like who can't, who doesn't, who, who somehow, who, what team doesn't score a touchdown, but kick a field goal instead. So I'm going to, I'm it's, sticking with that. It's always close between these teams. Yeah. Remember, it's like, there's a game where they, BYU lost seven to six, where they 
He went for a two-point conversion. He's like, we got to go for the win. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it'll be points, 35 to 30, Boise State. Said, but I'm not confident and feel like kind of queasy about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the point total will be slightly lower than that. But I would take I'd take Boise State in this one. I'm going to say 28 to 24. This is a game, just watch, folks. Just get after it and go watch, right? I mean, what else are you going to do besides watch San Jose State and San Diego State on, on another screen? That's true. Get the Just put FS1 on the big screen, right? There you go. All right, so it wraps up our first part of our week preview. So check us out, mwr.com, all of our previews, recaps, subscribe to the podcast. And, um, yeah, if you're waiting for the other games, just uh, hit next on your player, and they'll be showing up um, momentarily.